just wanted to say about the song, um, you know, maybe it was of the Lord that that was sung while we're going through the book of Job. It fit really perfectly. So uh, that's, that's all God's timing, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll take that, all right? Um, I want to get an installment here in our study, and we're going to be looking at the events that take place in heaven, as you can see. But um, as we do that, what I want to do is just have a little bit of review from last week. Um, last week, we introduced the book of Job, and we tried to make it practical, but there's just some of those things that you kind of have to just build through so that we can understand the background of different things. And so we're just going to review that very briefly, but we're going to give it a little bit of review. Uh, some highlights from the introduction. The first one is, is, that, is the question, why are we studying the book? Primarily, one of the reasons why I, I wanted to study this is because we have a number of people that are going through trials. Uh, we just have a number of folks that are going through some deep waters right now, whether it be through health reasons or other things. And we will also, on a practical basis, face difficult times. It is going to take place. And so as we consider that, it's, it's, a, it's a good reason to go through the book. I also mentioned um, uh, that there's a couple of approaches that we need to take the, uh, of the book of Job. And the first one was my approach. How am I going to uh, approach the book? Well, first, and it should be obvious that we're going to have a literal interpretation. But Job is a book of poetry. And so sometimes there are those who take it as more allegory and different different aspects of that to where it's just this nice story we pull principles from but that's not really the way i believe the scriptures are written not that there isn't picture language right but this was a real person in a real place and so on so the, these events took place and they were recorded by god himself um, we're going to focus on the practical rather than the academic and i went into a lot of detail about that but in a nutshell, what it means is this. We could get down into a, a bunch of words that are being used as far as what does that mean specifically and everything, whereas it's really more like we talked about last week. It's, it's poetry. So there's some picture language there where it's just designed to help emphasize the point. And if trying to figure out some of those things gets so granular that we lose track of where we're supposed to be, we're going to try to avoid that. We're also going to try to keep coming back to the theme of Job, which we'll be discovering uh, throughout our study of the book as well, and staying on track as opposed to kind of going uh, in, in different directions. Today, as we talk about the scene in heaven, for example, we're going to talk about the person of Satan, but we're not going to get stuck on him and talk about, oh, big bad Satan for weeks and weeks and miss out on what is what Job is focusing on. But it's important that we do understand what's taking place. Okay, so that's just an example. And then um, I, I want to encourage us and facilitate personal application. Folks, if, if it's just an academic exercise and we just, you know, kind of go through this and see how uh, uh, Job is put together and, yes, even look at the principles, but don't apply them to some of the experiences that we either have now or will have, then, then we will have missed out, I believe, on, on, on what the purpose of the book is, all right? And now, I also, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, we've got a, a big age group in here, and sometimes young people might be looking at this and saying, hey, I'm still living with my parents, man, all is good, you know? Now, you probably still have 
from your perspective and in, in, in your world, and I'm, I'm not saying this in a bad way, I mean in a positive way, meaning I acknowledge it, you have your own struggles, you have your own trials, but also understand this can help equip you for what will be coming, all right? Some of you right now, you're in your teenage years, okay? Most of us in this, in this room, except for maybe uh, our, our bodies, right, would never want to go back there again. There were hard times, weren't they? And so understand, it's how we apply it, okay? So please keep that in mind. Congregation's approach, and I kind of dealt with that just a little bit, receive the book with fresh eyes. I don't know if, if I just, you know, said, hey, you know, who thinks they have a really good handle on the book? Okay, now you can tell me. No, and I can do that to you. But, you know, I don't know where you're going to be, right? Many times we, we get the bookends of the book. We get what happens with Job and his suffering, and then we get what God says about himself and very little about the discussion in between. Well, there's a lot of mileage in there that we are covering, and I've mentioned that before, but even when we're talking about what's somewhat familiar with us, I want us to look at it with fresh eyes. That's my challenge to you, to your approach. And then exercise endurance. Um, <laughs> I almost said something I shouldn't have said. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we can tire of someone else's conversation, Right? And a lot of times it's because we want to be the one doing the conversing. <laughs> or we're not interested in what they're saying. All right? Well, we're going to have some guys talking back and forth, and it might be where it's like, you know, oh, man, this guy's droning on and on. Well, God recorded it for a purpose. Okay? And, and so we need to pay attention to what they're saying. And going through that, we're going to need to exercise some endurance. And then make practical application by putting the truths that you're going to learn into practice. So my job is to help you facilitate that. Your job is to do it. And by the way, I'm included in that as well. All right. Now there's also the structure of the book. It's, it's in three sections and you probably got this already. Um, the, the general overview of the book is this, Job and his testing, Job's conversations with his friends, and then the Lord speaks to Job. All right. Then the other thing that we did was we looked at where Job lived. You know, we just had a little mini debate here about, uh, is it us, us, uts? You know, technically I hear it's uts, but nobody says that. Um, but this is the land of us, okay? And so you can kind of get an idea of where Job lived. And, and some of these other characters are going to uh, play a part in that next week. But... He was probably a contemporary of what we would call the patriarchs, okay? Abraham through the children of Israel, the children of Jacob time frame. But he, he didn't have any real um, contact, as far as we can tell, with, with um, uh, Abraham or, or, or any of his promises, uh, and nor obviously was he around when the law was given. So, so that's kind of what we learned. But the first thing that we see about Job Right from, right from the beginning of the book is that he had a, a tremendous spiritual and moral, moral character. Verse 1 tells us that he was blameless, upright, one who feared God and turned his back on sin. He turned his back on evil. We also saw that Job was extremely wealthy. That was described in the first five verses. Now I'm going to read them for you in just a moment here. Job valued his family very much. And it seemed that his 10 children had very good relationships together. 
They spent time together. They enjoyed one another's company. But Job did, did have a concern that his children might sin against, their fa- sin against God during their family feasts. Okay? And that was a cause of concern for him. He also led his family spiritually. So the last thing that I want us to see is um, the spiritual overview of the book. And we're not, and I just wanted to note that, that we did review that uh, last week. We went over that last week, but um, this is something that we're going to be looking through the book. Uh, This is the reason why we're going through the book. And so I'm not going to list all of those this morning, but last week we did have an overview of just some of the themes of the book that we're going to be looking at. So now as we kind of introduce our passage today, the author is moving us through uh, that snapshot of our main character's life, moving us from there to a scene in heaven. The story will actually switch back and forth twice between heaven and earth, but today we're only going to be looking at the two scenes that took place in heaven. I think it's it's kind of a healthy way of looking at that, of, of looking at the similarities and, and also just seeing what was going on, even though we're not going to go back and forth between heaven and earth. And you'll see, again, what we're talking about in just a moment. But we'll eventually um, connect these two stories. But here's the thing. It's kind of like this. If you watch you know, movies or television, all of us have probably done that, right? I don't know of anybody here who would say I've never watched a show. When you have different characters in one place and different characters in another place, and eventually they're going to somehow come together, that's what we're dealing with right now. We've got two scenes and two separate uh, sets of characters. We've already been through scene one, so to speak, with Job and his family, and now we're going to see this set of characters in heaven and what happens there. Which brings us to the first encounter. Now, if you turn in your books, in your Bibles, to Job 1, the book of Job, chapter 1, I'm going to read for you. And instead of starting in verse 6, I'm going to get us back to Job 1, verse 1. So we get that backstory a little bit as well. You'll see the scene change, so to speak, okay? Job 1, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 12. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. That last phrase there, it just, that tells us everything, right? From the East, as we think about our map, He was the greatest. So it was when the days of feasting, uh, I'm sorry, verse (laughs) 4. Now his sons would go and feast in their houses, each one at his appointed day. We we said that that could have been just a a scheduled time, or it might have been surrounding their birthdays, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt sacrifice, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. That's scene one. That was last week. Now we move forward. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, 
from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth or from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all, all that uh, he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This brings us to what we're calling here the first encounter. There are two encounters that we're going to see today, as I mentioned, two scenes in heaven. And the first encounter, we see that Satan stands before God in verse 6. The scene takes place in heaven in the very presence of God. Think about that. This is pure evil, Satan, who is in the presence of God. Sons of God is another term for God's holy or elect angels. And we observe that they were, there were appointed time when God's angels presented themselves to report their activities to him. This is what took place here and in the beginning of chapter 2, which we'll see in a little bit. The author keeps Satan separate by adding that he was among them. And there's no way to determine, was, was he a part of them? Did he just come along for the ride? You know, what, what really is taking place here? We, we really can't be dogmatic about that. But what we can say is this, the two times that is listed in Job, Satan was there, All right? I want to pause for a minute, and I do want to talk about Satan for a little bit. We're not going to be turned to a whole bunch of chapters and verses here. That's good to do. We don't have a lot of time for that, but I want to give us some principles that we know. I do not want to spend a lot of time talking about him, but it is helpful to keep Satan in perspective. This is the same fallen angel who tempted Adam and Eve. It's the same fallen angel who is, is, is um, represented by different names uh, in other parts of the Bible and the devil and Lucifer, and etc., when we consider the big picture of how the Bible says Satan operates and how he opposes God, we have to understand that Satan is completely self-absorbed. I don't understand completely how or why he fell. He was a created being, not completely unlike man, but angels aren't men. But he did fall, and we know he fell because of his pride. He is a liar by nature. Actually, one of his names. He already knows his future, but still believes he can overthrow God. So, I don't know if you want to call it mental illness or what, but seriously, I mean, he has these illusions of grandeur, right? He deliberately leads people to eternal punishment. He influences every kind of evil, pain, and suffering on the earth. By the way, he influences. He doesn't cause it all. Remember, we are fallen. 
In reality, we don't really need any help from Satan. But he does help in the wrong way. He possesses a hateful jealousy toward God, which means that he hates all those who follow and worship him. Now, getting back to the scene in heaven, we are not given any additional information about why Satan is present. I mentioned that. But in verse 7, we see that God questions Satan. God asks him, where do you come from? You know, where have you been is how we might say it. The Lord wasn't asking as if he was surprised to see Satan. Okay, we need to understand that. Nor was God asking because he didn't know where Satan had been. Nothing is going to escape his gaze. He knows what's going on. But God was exercising his sovereign authority over Satan, one of his created beings. And what he was saying was, tell me where you've been. Now, even though it's not much, even what Satan says is revealing. Satan reports to God in that same uh, verse. He did report to God, but it was vague and, and really quite meaningless, right? You can almost hear the contempt in Satan's voice. Ah, I've been here and there, just doing my thing. That's pretty much what he said, right? Now, he told the truth, but he didn't give anything that he apparently didn't want to give. The original language, by the way, indicates rapid movement. When it says that he walked to and fro, etc., he was traveling quickly back and forth across the earth. Again, we're putting things in perspective, but there is a healthy perspective and understanding. Satan doesn't have the same makeup that we do. And he can get around. And that's what he was doing at the time. That's what he reported to God. Peter tells us one of the main things that Satan does as he roams the earth in 1 Peter 5.8. He warns us, be sober, right? Have a clear mind, be vigilant, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is a good time to just stop and remember that the word Satan means enemy. And actually in the book of Job, I'm not really saying it this way because it, to me it might be a little distracting, but he has an article in front of his name. It is the Satan, the adversary, the enemy, right? So this, this your adversary, the devil, right, is basically saying because you're Satan, the devil, is, is, is how this is saying it, right? Walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So what is Satan doing while he's doing his roaming? He's looking to destroy. It, it's, a, it's a very sobering thought. Next in verse 8, we see that God asked Satan a second question. He asked him, have you considered my servant Job? The Lord then affirms Job's character by saying exactly what the author had said about Job earlier, right? Let's look at that, just to, just to refresh our minds in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Now, some have speculated that, that none like him on the earth would have to do with the fact that he was very rich, but also very holy, all right? Um, by the way, it didn't mean perfect. 
but it meant holy. He kept things right between himself and God. All right. Um, others, others believe that he just was, as far as comparison of anybody else, he was the holiest man at that time. If you think about it, let's just say he was a contemporary of Abraham. Abraham, no, nobody's going nobody's to question Abraham, right? He, he, he was, a, he was a, a godly man. But we know that he made some pretty awful decisions, right? No one's going no one's to uh, deny his faith. He left everything in the land of Ur of the Chaldees and moved to what we know of as the Holy Land now, the land of Canaan. And God said, I'm going to give that to you. And I'm going to give you, you know, land, seed, and blessing, right? So all those different things, we're not going to argue about that, but somehow Job, he, he just was different than potentially than everybody else, all right? And God even acknowledges that. So if the Lord is affirming his character, I'm, I'm, we're not going to be ones to question that, right? The word consider here, as he's questioning God, as questioning Satan, means that God was asking if Satan had ever set his heart on Job. That's literally what that means. Now, when we think of setting our heart on somebody, right, it's maybe two young people where it's like, ooh, I like you, and oh, I like you too, and I, I set my heart on you. Uh, when we're talking about Satan's heart, you don't want him to set his heart on you, Right? But that's what God is asking. Another way of, say, a way of saying this is, have you ever given purposeful attention to my servant Job? And we need to let that sink in. Because Satan's consideration came with all the evil and hatred and violence that he could possibly bring. God's question to Satan was actually a challenge. So this brings us to a potential problem. Since God is sovereign, the supreme rule over all things, and Satan can't do anything without the Lord's permission, then doesn't this evil that Satan, we know, did come from God? Did God give permission to do that? We have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Why did God ask Satan to consider Job? Did God stir up Satan to attack Job? Everything comes back to purpose and motive. What is the purpose of all that will befall Job in our story? It is to test Job's faith and to bring glory to God. So when we look at purpose and motive... It's different than what we see Satan actually going about doing. All right. And we'll get to more of that a little bit later. Another thing that we see coming up here in this scene in heaven in verses 10 and 11 is that Satan accuses God. Satan's basically telling God to his face that he's buying Job's loyalty. Have you thought about that? <laughs> well, of course he's following you. Look what you do for him. He cannot bring anything, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up. This, this hedge 
is simply, it simply means an enclosure. He's saying, you're protecting Job. God's blessings allow Job to succeed in all that he does. That's acknowledged in the text. Okay? God doesn't fight against that. He doesn't, he doesn't question what Satan said. But notice, he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Then he says, uh, and then Satan says, you know, basically, hey, yeah, of course he's upright. I acknowledge that, but it's because of what you're doing for him. Okay, you, you, you are artificially giving him all the purpose to follow you. But within this, Satan also accuses Job, even though it's probably a little bit woven in. This accusation against Job goes something like this. He cannot bring anything up against his character, so he attacks Job's motives for obedience. Notice he's not going to his character. He's going to his motives. Satan contends that the only reason that Job serves God is because of what he receives from God. And again, that's not necessarily wrong if it were true. In other words, God is selling loyalty and Job is willing to buy. We can understand Job's argument without agreeing, I'm sorry, Satan's argument without agreeing with it. His contention is that Job's love, obedience, and even his integrity are not genuine. Take away all the outward protections, the possessions, and the blessings, and Job would quickly lose his integrity. That is what he contends. So this is the perfect time to insert something else the scriptures reveal about the character and the activities of Satan from Revelation 12.10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Okay, by the way, that's all great, right? The kingdom of Christ has come. This is future. But it says, for, all right? The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast out. So one of the celebrations in heaven is Satan's out of here, Okay. Now, again, I don't understand that whole relationship, but he is allowed access up to this point. So this future celebration takes place when Satan no longer has access to heaven, but it also reveals Satan's present activity of constantly bringing accusations against believers. Some of you might have had an experience in the workplace, right? Where you're wondering... Why is my boss acting the way they are? And then you find out that someone's been tripping to them about all these things you're doing wrong. Casting judgment upon you and changing the heart of your boss. That ever happened to you? How about in between friends? You got several friends together and one friend wants to be a friend to this friend, but this friend's a friend to that friend. And so I have to be an enemy to that friend because I want to be a friend to this friend. Right? So I'm going to rip this person down behind their back. I'm going to make accusations against them so that the friend that I really want to be my friend will be my friend. Satan is constantly bringing accusations up against believers. 
and we need to be honest, there's probably plenty of true ones. The last thing we see is that Satan receives permission. God's permission has limits. He, the Lord, is never out of control. Not only must Satan receive permission, but there are limits to what he can do. The Lord is not giving in to Satan's accusations as if they were true. Instead, we need to understand that he is setting up his purposes. Satan is actually going to be a tool of God, which blows our minds, right? But that's what's going to happen. Now let's look at the second encounter that we have. Now I'm going to read for you Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We all good so far? You following along? All right. Okay, here we go. Job 2, verse 1 through 6. Scene number 2. Next week, we'll look at what happens outside of heaven. It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So we see here that it's emphatically stated he's presenting himself to God. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And we can stop right here and go, haven't we just heard this? We have, but it goes on, right? Man who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. All right, now again, the parentheses in here is the events that took place on earth. We'll see those next week. But then it goes on. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand but spare his life. And then just a little glimpse there, and then verse 7 says, then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So as I think about this second encounter, again, there's some similarities, but there are some differences. Satan does stand before God again, and we see that in this second time, it specifically states that he presents himself to God, that he's there to give a report God asks Satan a question again. He asks Satan the, the same question. And you wonder how often this took place. You know, was this like the pat thing that happened? Right? Where have you been? I've been off doing my thing. Right? He's, he's, he's not offering anything up. Okay? But he also asked him, have you given Job your attention, right? Have you placed your heart on Job? God declared that Job remained faithful, even though he has endured Satan's horrific attacks. What, what I think is, is refreshing here, folks, is you can, you can actually, I believe, see God's pleasure God's 
um, uh, for sake of a better term, appreciation in Job's faithfulness. Right? He's acknowledging that. Hey, you did what you asked, and he has maintained his integrity. But you can also hear the anger and frustration come out of Satan because he again accuses Job. Notice that the enemy didn't accuse God of anything in this second encounter. Why? Because God had taken away his argument. God had removed that. You know, you, you mess with his stuff and he's going to curse you. Well, he lost everything. Didn't curse. He knew that the Lord had eliminated the one thing that Satan held against God, the physical blessings that he gave to Job. But he does attack Job's character again by saying skin for skin, meaning make it personal. Attack him directly and Job will curse you to your face. And then again, we see that Satan received permission to do what he was going to do. In the second encounter, God is still in control. His permission still comes with limits to what Satan can do. So we see these two encounters And what I want to do is I want to spend some time making some application of these things. As we conclude our time today, we have already read in our, meaning previously in in the scriptures, we haven't haven't, um, necessarily looked at them directly. But we're probably familiar with Satan's ruthless attacks against Job. That's probably one of the more familiar things that we have about the book. And again, we'll take a closer look at what he endured next week. But what can we take away from these scenes? What can we take away from what happened in heaven? A couple of things. Everything ultimately comes from the hand of God. Everything. Now, Satan can do nothing without God's permission. In addition, Satan cannot go beyond what God allows. So there are limits to what Satan can do. So even though we might have this inherent fear of Satan and what he could do, and if we look at this book, you know, there's, there, is, there is a healthy, hey, you know, I don't want to mess with him, I want to mess with me, right? But at the same time, anything that would take place comes from God, and there are limits. Although God allowed Satan to attack Job, God did not actually do the attacking. Job did. I'm Job. Satan did. Sorry about that. Which means that we need to be very careful as to what we attribute to God, even what we sometimes call acts of God. Again, we'll get into that a little bit next week. There was never a moment when Job was out of God's sight. There was never a moment when Job was outside of God's care. Folks, that's an important takeaway. Remember, we have the first scene. During the second scene, he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Have you, have you, you know, cast your intentions on him? You did all these things, but he's still maintaining his integrity. God knew what was going on. And he wasn't some distant spectator. 
Another vital fact to keep in mind is that this is where we need to work hard to put ourselves into Job's sandals. We need to wear his shoes for a minute here and think about this. Job did not have any of the information that we just went through. It's hard for us, right? We've got the information. Job, yeah, that was really tough, but hey, God's in control. (laughs) We know the story. If we, again, take a fresh look at that and really place ourselves in Job's situation without having any idea of the conversations between God and Satan. Wow. I mean, it's bad enough, the situation, just putting ourselves there. But to put ourselves there without having any information that that, that we have that he didn't, that'd be very difficult. He knew nothing about the conversations that took place in heaven. He had no secret insight into God's plan or no insight into the spirit world. In his suffering, Job didn't know what would happen next and he didn't know when his nightmare would end. No knowledge. But I think that our biggest takeaway today is knowing the purpose of all that happened to Job. Job's sufferings weren't the result of some cosmic bet between good and evil. Job wasn't ruined merely to see how he would respond. One one, uh, commentator called it a chess match, meaning it wasn't a chess match, right? Where God moves his pieces and Satan moves his pieces and, you know, God might lose a piece here and there, but he's going to win in the end. That's that's not the right view. Okay? That's not the right view. It's checkmate all the time. He controls all the pieces. There was actually something bigger at stake. And I uh, defer to people who are much smarter than me. uh, So I want to... um, uh, put up a slide by a gentleman by the name of Christopher Ash from his um, commentary. In some deep way, it is necessary for it to be publicly seen by the whole universe that God is worthy of the worship of a man and that God's worth is in no way dependent on God's gifts. Wow. Now, you might look at that and say, whole universe? Hey, wait a minute. It didn't just happen on earth. The conversation took place in heaven. I mean, that's a very accurate way of describing it. All of heaven knew what was going on. And it was recorded for us to see. God is worthy of worship of a man. And that God's worth is in no way dependent on God's gifts. It is vital for us to understand that the Lord is the one who initiated to show forth his glory, initiated all of this to show forth his glory in the life of Job. God's glory will be revealed through the testing of Job's faith. Each and every one of us should, let me just say it, buckle up, right? Because God has plans to do the same with you and with me 
if we are a child of God. So everything that we see in Job, not necessarily how he is tested, but testing will take place. How do we know that? He told us. Isn't that awesome? He tells us in advance because he tells us in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 9, In this you greatly rejoice, though though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That sound familiar? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, right? Getting back to that grieving, getting back to those trials, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, let me just clear up something real quick here. The end of your faith, the salvation of your souls, we're talking about the completion of our salvation, not working toward to be saved. Okay? This isn't some incremental, I'm more saved now, I'm more saved now. No. It's, it's once it's complete, because we're talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right? That's the completion. That's when we're all together with him, when we're, when we're made even to be like him. All right? Is this not exactly how the conversation went in heaven? It's exactly how the conversation went. The trials were there. He passed the test. God acknowledged that. And it was for his praise. It was for God's glory. We see these elements there. Folks, what Job is going through is to teach us something. Is to be an example for us. There's more to learn than what Job gives, but what Job gives, what Job teaches us, is really important stuff. So as we think about this, it's another really important reason to examine the book, that we are going to be tried. We are going to be tested. The entirety of Job's book can at first really bring some fear into our lives. But if our response is fear and fear only, then we're really not looking at the entirety of Job's book. (laughs) And so that's why we want to examine it because we want to take out what God says and does, and even the interaction between himself and his friends, so that we can see how practically to handle difficult times. All right? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I... As I pray, I I may be echoing the thoughts of other folks here. I I don't know. I probably am. But there is almost that kind of mentality when we look at Job 
like when we're driving by an accident on the highway, we're curious, we're wondering what happened and how it happened. And yet we don't want to be there. And so just as someone who's kind of witnessing what's going on, um, there's, it's intriguing. And I believe that you wrote this book for us to draw us in, to draw us into this man's suffering. Because you really want to teach us some important lessons. And, and I think that part of why we're drawn in, Lord, is because to a degree and probably to a much lesser degree, we've been there. And there are times when we are going to be there. And so, Lord, I pray that, again, whether it's no matter what our age, no matter what our challenges might be or might be in the future, that one of the first things that we would take away from this book is holding to our integrity. But, Father, we have to admit something first that we have to have our integrity. Lord, if there's someone here who is not living that, not perfect, but if they're not living that upright life, I pray that you will convict them, that you do a work in their heart and life, partly because they need to be prepared for what's coming, including the revelation of Christ himself. But Lord, I also pray that we are challenged to bring glory to you with our lives. Again, not, not a sinless perfection, but a consistent, faithful life that is focused on pleasing you. And as we pray, Lord, there could be someone here who does not know you as Savior. We know that our works are because we are saved not so that we will attain heaven. It's impossible. So there's someone here who does not know about your grace, who has never experienced what you have personally done on the cross and not placed their faith in that finished work, that you'll convict them as well. May they also be warned that Satan's roaming and Satan's desire to destroy um, their fair game. Ultimately, there is no protection. Because their end is death. So, in this very sobering account of Satan revealing his heart, a vicious, awful, hateful being. I pray that even when it comes to sinning, that we'll understand that we're siding with him when we do that. And that this book would just simply be a reality check. And then lastly, Lord, I pray that we'll recognize your sovereignty your supreme ruler all, rule over all things, which includes the fact that you will preserve and protect your own. That nothing, nothing gets by you. 
Nothing gets skirted around you. There's, there's no hidden agenda that somehow is, is thrust upon us. Nothing is a surprise. And it's not that we go through things as robots. We will see that Job didn't. But that we need to keep your purposes and your sovereignty in mind. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.